Alrighty, hello, hello, hello. Um, this is your host, Sarah Rampalo, and this is the Human Services 482 podcast assignment. Um, for this assignment, I interviewed Olivia Arches, who's the Client Services Coordinator, um, about just a lot of different things. So we're going to jump right into it. So Olivia first describes the organization of the Family Justice Center as a whole. Um, she was a little too busy to do the recording, so I'm just going to read direct quotes from her. So she starts with, quote, The goal of the FJC, or the Family Justice Center, is to bring all victim services to one building so a victim can stay in one location and have services come to them instead of having to go to locate a bunch of services on their own. The Family Justice Center acts as an umbrella that houses multiple different agencies that server interact with victims and provides coordination in helping victims navigate the agencies. The Family Justice Center does a lot of facilitation for agencies like connecting partners. The Family Justice Center also does case review and building collaboration. The Family Justice Center also runs the building and facilities, i.e. setting up rooms and running the front, end quote. Um, She also shared with me that there are seven total employees in the Family Justice Center. Their positions are as follows. Sky Sullivan is the Family Justice Center Director. Olivia Argis is the Client Services Coordinator. Linda Jones is the Part-Time Intake Specialist. Angel is a Victim Liaison for the Family Justice Center in the Alamance County Sheriff's Office. Latanya Hall is the Elder Abuse Services Coordinator. Christy Koffer is the Elder Justice Project Coordinator. Hanero Hernandez is the Intake Specialist. Um, so the she also shared with me that the Family Justice Center provides many services. Quote, services include facilitation, referrals, provide cl- providing client funds like hotels and taxis, grant management, and case management for victims of elder abuse end quote. Um, So they do a lot of facilitation and referrals um, in order to give the victim services all under one roof. So she also shared with me the population the agency serves. So quote, victims of interpersonal violence slash domestic violence, end quote. So they serve any any and all victims of domestic and interpersonal violence. Um, They don't serve people usually of specific hate crimes um, or violence that does not occur in domestic or interpersonal violence. Um, So that is important to note. Um, And as we're going to dive into later, this population is huge and encompasses all sorts of identities um, and people. Next, I asked her, what are some common issues that this population, the population that is served at the Family Justice Center, is served by? And she went on a long list of feelings of fear, trauma, access to assistance or awareness that there is assistance, finances, children, legal complications, lack of support system, re-victimization, health issues, lack of trust to health care, mistrusting criminal justice system, fear of, ju- fear of retribution, fear of judgment, experiencing judgment. Overall, um, Olivia really noted a lot of disempowerment the, where you 
where victims cannot decide and have the autonomy um, of their own life um, since they are in a dangerous situation. Um, I also kind of looked into re-victimization and the Family Justice Center um, Alliance, which is a national organization that has a lot of great resources and training, has a poly-victimization toolkit. So poly-victimization can be another term for re-victimization, which essentially means victims having multiple victimizations or being victims over and over and over again. Um, And so the Family Justice Center Alliance has a great resource for that. And then we're also right now going to jump into how to intervene with disempowerment. So Olivia and I discussed several interventions and strategies used at the agency, and she shared with me that they use the Family Justice Center model, uh, the empowerment model for family justice centers, data on domestic violence, and she also shared a lot of it is driven by each individual's experience. So, um, you know, you can have all this data and research and evidence base, which they try to do because they do want to help the majority of people the best way possible. But they shared that each individual experience is really different for each victim. I also have some information on the empowerment process model. Um, So according to Lauren Contino and Lisa Goodman, they assert that, quote, the empowerment process model uh, described the ways in which it addresses those. um, Oh, Lord, I'm going to restart from that. (laughs) So the empowerment, quote, the empowerment process model articulates empowerment as a meaningful shift in experiment of power attained through interaction in the social world and describes the process of building empowerment as an iterative one in which a person takes action toward person toward personally meaningful goals draws on community supports skill knowledge and self-efficacy to move toward those goals and observes and observes the extent to which those actions result in progress By incorporating both process and outcome dimensions in this model, they bridge the psychological and contextual realms and allow for domain specificity. specificity. The model addresses challenges to clear conceptualization and provides a common framework that may be used as a reference point for practitioners and researchers wishing to apply this construct. Um... Olivia didn't mention this, but the Family Justice Center can also do forensic interviewing. According to Karen Saywitz and Lorinda Camparo, quote, evidence-based child forensic interviewing addresses the issues regarding the inherent mismatch between the needs of the legal system and the capabilities of young children. This is specific this is especially problematic when legal decisions with potentially serious consequences depend on the on results of the interview, such as in cases involving eyewitness memory, divorce, and allegations of abuse and neglect. Without accommodations to ch- a child's development level, interviews can face can result in false reports, miscommunication, misinterpretation, despite an interviewer's best intentions. End quote. Right, so the um, Family Justice Center does do um, forensic interviewing at times. I was there 
um, for one of them, but I did not get to sit in on the videos or anything, um, but they, that is a service that they provide that Olivia, uh, forgot to mention. I also asked Olivia what some strength and protective factors that, uh, she has identified among her clients, um, and she really emphasized to me, um, that the strength and protective factors are less protective protective factors and more privilege-based. So she noted specifically um, support systems like family and friends who they can stay with or borrow money from is huge. Being financially independent, no child with the offender, not married to the offender, no property with the offender, healthy relationship education, resilience, which looks different for everyone. Everyone is different. Um, And she also said that Um, weaknesses are essentially the opposite all of those, um, and isolation is super common for victims. So I'm going to wrap up here. Um, so that was episode two. Um, I wanted to thank Olivia Argis for spending some of her time, um, writing down some of these answers and sharing with me and talking me through these answers. Um, Oh, just kidding. (laughs) I have more things to talk about. JK, (laughs) professor, forget that happened. (laughs) All right. So we have a couple more things before we end. Um, So uh, we talked about social issues that affect marginalized clients. um, And it was kind of interesting. Me and Olivia got on this discussion of how... um, the Family Justice Center really has to provide services to everyone, even if people are actively oppressing other people. Um, so let's say like clients are doing or saying things that are really racist or sexist. If they're a victim of domestic violence, you have to treat them the same as anyone else. Um, and so they, you know, the Family Justice Center does have marginalized clients, but um, they don't specifically only target marginalized clients, if that makes sense. They try to target just domestic violence victims as a whole. Um, And within that, they might try to do some special education on specific groups like um, indigenous women, stuff like that, who who do have higher rates of uh, domestic violence. Um, But Olivia shared some social issues that affects marginalized clients. she shared with me just generally racism, sexism, xenophobia, homophobia, patriarchy, inequality of access to resources, and capitalism. Um, again, there's a big tie-in to uh, financial, uh, fi- a lack of financial independence with many victims, um, and so capitalism can really drive that. Um, Next, we talked about efforts that the agency is doing to engage in reducing social problems for a marginalized group. Um, And Olivia shared that they, quote, usually focus on preventing domestic violence for everyone and providing services for victims, end quote. And she also shared a couple of other things. So they do primarily prevention and awareness outside of the Family Justice Center, Um, They do do lobbying for VOCA, um, which is part of their funding for the Family Justice Center. But she shared with me that um, they can't do a lot of advocacy or political rallying on social media because of confidentiality and because they don't want to potentially break rapport with clients who disagree with them, right? So um, 
Olivia specifically shared with me that a lot of people at the Family Justice Center uh, did not go to the Black Lives Matter protest because if there was a picture of them um, and a client saw and they disagree with that stance, then that would break some of the rapport. Um, They also, Olivia also shared with me um, that because this is technically under the Alamance County Department of Social Services, they do have regulations on things, right? So Family Abuse Services, although they are not the Family Justice Center, they're just an agency under the Family Justice Center, um, they got in trouble um, because they posted a Black Lives Matter um, picture or resource on a social media platform, and they had to take it down. Um, And then Olivia shared with me some information on what makes some groups specifically vulnerable. So she shared, quote, people of color are usually discriminated against within the criminal justice system and and have mistrust of law enforcement. LGBTQ plus folks may think that they have no one, um, that no one will take their claims seriously until a couple of months ago. They couldn't even file 50 B's. Um, because of a clause in the law. Illegal immigrants can't call police because deportation and lack of services available because of immigration status. And she really, really uh, hammered in overall in victim services. Um, things look a little different than mental health services or homelessness sometimes because confidentiality is tighter than HIPAA. So some of these questions were tricky for Olivia. I'd like to, um, Olivia shared with me that she'd like to, um, share more and be able to do more, but that's just not how the world works. Um, so this is truly the end of the episode. Um, thank you so much, Olivia Argis, for, uh, guiding me in some of these questions, um, giving me some direct quotes, um, spending time, um, making sure I got some questions. So I wanted to say thank you. And this is a great end to episode two.